Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in his plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. So uh, if, you, if you just joined us, uh, we're, we're, we're only really going to have one verse this morning in uh, First Chronicles, and it'll be later on, but a ton, ton of scripture, but I, I don't really have a, a, you know, a full passage for you to go through, but turn to First Chronicles chapter 22. Um, you know, when I was, I grew up in Rochester uh, by the Great Lakes, and we would get lake effect snow, um, you know, in, in great volume sometimes, and I remember when I was learning how to drive, uh, my my dad said to me, he said, if if you ever get stuck in a snowstorm um, and, you know, and you can't see or you're, you're fearful, he says, just get behind a plow. If you can find a plow, just follow the plow and go. So I remember this one time, um, this storm came upon us and uh, and it was bad. And I sure enough, I found a plow and I got behind the plow and I just started following this plow. You know, I figure uh, it's the safest way to go. And so I, I, I follow the plow and I'm following him and I'm following him. And all of a sudden he puts on his signal and he, he pulls over. And so I, I stop behind the plow. I come behind him. The driver gets out and he comes up to my window and he goes, what are you doing? And I, and I just said, well, you know, my dad always told me that if I get stuck in a storm, that I should get behind the plow. And the guy goes, oh, he goes, all right, well, I'm going to finish up here at Best Buy in a minute and I'm going to shoot over to Walmart. You're welcome to follow me. <laughs> We're talking about leadership. We're talking about following. <laughs> Unfortunately, a lot of times our following is a lot like me following that plow. By the way, I didn't really do that, you know, but I set you up good, you know. <laughs> is where we're following, but we don't know where we're going. And, uh, and we're following, but we're, we're following without any sense of destination or any sense of real direction. Um, and so as we uh, look at, at leadership and, and we look at developing uh, leaders, what we remember and realize is that Jesus did not come and call us so that he could gain followers. He called us in order to build leaders. And that's what Jesus did. When we look at the Gospels, um, he called 12 uh, that they might be with him and that he might send them. And when he sent 70, he was raising them for leadership. And when Jesus calls, uh, even in this day, he calls us to follow, but not for the sake of aimlessly following without direction, but rather he's calling us so that he can train us up and raise us up as leaders. So over the past few sessions, uh, we've been talking about different types of leaders. Um, Jesus, I'm sorry, the Bible, even from the very beginning, sets it forward that God created us to be leaders. He created his people to lead. One of the very first commandments that God gave uh, to man, it was in the Garden of Eden, and it was even before the fall. Uh, God spoke to Adam and he said that he was to replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion. That's what God said to Adam in the very beginning. And so one of the very first calls that God gave to man universally was a call to lead, was a call to have dominion. When God raised up ancient Israel 
under Moses and established really the theocracy that Israel became, which was the government, uh, humanly speaking, of what represented the kingdom spiritually. Uh, when God raised up Moses and he raised up that government, it was a government based on absolute leadership. Every person in the nation ruled something. And you read, you know, the, 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 the government that Moses established, and there were captains of tens, there were captains of hundreds, there were captains of thousands. And everyone had some area of oversight, whether it was just overseeing your family, or whether it was overseeing a small group, or larger or larger, and all the way up, but everyone had some former role of leadership. It was like that in the days of David and Solomon, when the kingdom was established. When David and Solomon established the kingdom, again we read that there was captains of thousands, captains of hundreds, and captains of tens. And it was this thing where when you followed God, you were not one who just followed aimlessly, but you were in some form of leadership. You saw your life as a leader, and then you grew in that leadership. God said through, the, through Moses in the law, he said that you, my people, are to be the head and not the tail. In other words, we're not just following aimlessly, but rather we are leading. And thus, even in following, we're developing to lead. And so it's important that we understand that in our lives, in the context of our lives, is that if we fail to, 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 to hold on to whatever form of leadership God has entrusted to us, then what we're doing is we're forfeiting a part of what we were made to be because God made us to be leaders in some sense. And even for those of us that don't feel like we're especially good at that or especially gifted in that area, it's something that is learned and not assumed. It isn't just, okay, well, you're a leader and you're not. No, the Bible uh, assumes that if Jesus calls you, then he's able to make you and I what we are not naturally. And so uh, not only is everyone called to lead, but everyone can lead, even those that don't feel like they can. So we looked uh, initially at four bad types of leaders that exists within the world. We looked at the controlling leader, the critical leader, the avoiding leader, and the enabling leader. And that was a few studies ago. We won't review uh, you know, the, the, those negative types, but essentially what, what I call those are the wild branches of leadership. In, in other words, those are natural tendencies towards weak and lazy leadership. I mean, it's easy to lead that way, to just control things or to be critical or to avoid problems and confrontation or to enable people that aren't catching on very quickly. And those are easy things, but they're ineffective things. They can be productive, but they're not helpful to the mission uh, because they don't develop people to come along and, and come on after us. And one of the things that you begin to learn as you get a little older is that someday you're going to have to pass the baton on to the next generation. And if we fail to do our job as leaders, then we fail to develop the people that are coming up under us in order to bring the kingdom uh, forward. And so we don't want to be bad leaders. We want to be good leaders. So we started last time together looking at the fifth type of leader, which is the developing leader. And that is uh, the example that we have in Jesus, who is the ultimate leader. And, and the way that Jesus led 
was not through controlling or criticism or avoiding or enabling, but rather he led by empowering and by developing the people that he called and the people that he was raising up. And so we looked at three characteristics last time together of the developing leader. And what we saw is that the developing leader is someone who is stable, first of all. There's a stability in their life wherein they're secure in their identity and they're secure in their calling. They're consistent in their behavior and their personality and they're driven by their mission. They understand what it is that they're called to be a part of and what they're called to do and they keep that before them. And, and, and the result of Security, consistency, and mission-driven is that you're stable. You're a stable leader. And so we see that in Jesus, is that he was all of those things. Uh, the second characteristic of a developing leader is that they're coaching rather than controlling. So rather than just being dictatorial in their leadership and controlling people, they're coaching. And, and the style of that leadership is just get in the game. I did pre-marriage counseling last night for a couple that's getting married in about a month. And uh, the, the, the young man said, can I ask a question? And, and he said, I, 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 I want to be candid, uh, but I really want the answer to this question. And so I hope you're not offended by it. He says, but what, what, what resources would you recommend uh, or what one or two things would you recommend that I do right now so that I can be fully prepared for when I'm married? He said, because I don't want to suck at marriage. <laughs> that's, that's what he said to me. And I said, well, that's a healthy ambition. I said, but unfortunately, <laughs> I, there, there's, not, there's nothing that I can tell you. And here's why. I said, because the way Jesus prepares us for something is that he throws us into it and says, figure it out. That's how he does it. We get married and then we figure out how to be married. He gives us kids and then we figure out how to be parents. He puts us in the ministry and then we figure out how to, how to do the ministry. That's the way Jesus develops because he does it by coaching. He puts us in the game and then he coaches us while we're there. And so he's coaching and not controlling. The third characteristic of the developing leader is that they're constructive rather than critical. They don't look at what you do and then pick it apart and, and, and beat you down small uh, by telling you how, how badly you screwed things up. But rather what Jesus did, and we see him doing this in the Gospels, is that when he gives feedback... He tells them what they did good, and then he discusses what could be better. And that, there's a world of difference between criticizing someone and tearing them down and building them up with feedback and then discussing how things can be done better. And so uh, those are the three that we looked at last time. Now this week, we're going to look at two more traits of the developing leader. And so the fourth one, and the first one that we'll look at this morning is that Jesus, or the developing leader, embraced confrontation and handled it well. Jesus embraced confrontation and he handled it well. Now that's in contrast to the avoiding leader. The avoiding leader doesn't want any conflict and avoids it at all costs and thus weakens the team um, by not dealing with and handling problems. But we don't see that in Jesus. Jesus embraced the confrontation and he did it well. He did this in three ways. He embraced confrontation, first of all, by engaging his team, second of all, by confronting his enemies, and third, by embracing the painful task. 
So first way that Jesus embraced confrontation is that he engaged his team. And so he wasn't afraid of conflict. Listen carefully, guys. He wasn't afraid of conflict with the people he was serving alongside. So for you, that might be your family members, or it might be the people that you work with in your job, or you might lead a team, or, or, or you might be the head of a ministry, some form of leadership, and so your team are the people that you're working alongside. And there are times when there has to be some kind of controlled conflict amongst your team in order to cause the mission to move forward. And so we see with Jesus that there was uh, an, an episode in Mark chapter 8 where uh, Jesus had multiplied the loaves and the fishes twice. He fed 5,000 and then he fed 4,000. And then he was in a ship privately with the 12 disciples and they were traveling to the other side and they had forgotten to take bread with them. And so Jesus was thinking about something totally different. He was thinking about the scribes and the Pharisees and he turned to his disciples and he said, beware of the leaven, the yeast of the scribes and the Pharisees. And the disciples started like totally misinterpreting Jesus. And they're going, oh no, he's upset that we didn't bring enough food. And they started going, what are you, you didn't bring bread? He's hungry and you didn't, what is wrong with you? You know, the whole thing. And, and Jesus realized that they completely missed out on what he was saying. And they were thinking something totally different. And he said, look, guys, he goes, do you remember when there was five loaves and 5,000 people? Remember how many, how many people did we feed? 5,000. Remember when there was 4,000 people and seven loaves? How many people? We fed 4,000. He goes, why are you worried about bread? I'm not talking to you about bread, you know? But Jesus could have let that go. These guys are so thick-headed. I am not even going to, we'll deal with this when the Holy Ghost comes and they'll understand how stupid they were then, you know? That would be the avoiding leader. I let it go. Jesus didn't do that. He brought it to their attention and he addressed it with his team when they needed it. There was an instance just after that where Jesus had an encounter uh, with Peter, where Jesus said, who do men say that I am? And they, they all had their ideas, but Peter said, you're the Christ. And Jesus said, yes, Peter, right on, affirmed, good, you got it. And then Jesus said, the Son of Man is going to go to the cross. Son of Man is going to suffer many things. And Peter pulls Jesus aside and he goes, Jesus, all right, look, I'm, I, I have a win under my belt. Let me talk to you for a minute, Jesus. You're not going to no cross. And you're not going to suffer. You are the anointed one. You are going to rule and reign from Jerusalem. We are going to coronate you and you're going to be the king. And Jesus looked at Peter and he didn't say, Peter, sit down. You'll understand someday. He said, get behind me, Satan. You savor us not the things which be of God, but the things which be of men. He put Peter harshly in his place. He called him the devil, you know, because the things that he was saying were so contrary to both the mission and the mindset of the team, of the disciples. And Jesus dealt with the issue one-on-one, -on -one, and he had to be very direct with Peter. Now, the amazing thing about this is that Peter didn't leave and say, I'm not going to be talked to like that by anybody. And Peter wasn't offended by what Jesus said. He was humbled, definitely, very much, and put in his place. But what's remarkable to me about Jesus in this is that it says six days later, Six days later, after this interaction, it's me measured in the Bible by days. It says that Jesus called Peter, James, and John, and he said, come with me, guys. I've got something for you. And he took them up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and then the whole thing happened where Jesus was glorified. So Jesus dealt with the issue, but then he built up the disciple. He didn't 
rebuke him and then say, you sit in the back for a while, work your way back up. He, he then affirmed him, and I love that about Jesus. He also did it later on with the team when they were arguing about who was going to be the greatest. And, and the thing I love about this interaction, you can read about it in Mark 9. You can write that down. You read it up, read up on it later. But I love the interaction because they are walking somewhere. They arrive at their destination. They sit down for dinner. And Jesus goes back in time to a discussion some of them had been having while they were walking. So it wasn't the appropriate time to, to deal with it then. And so Jesus comes back around to it during dinner, and he says to them, what was it that you were arguing about while we were in the way? And he knew already, but he made them fess up. Oh, we were arguing about which one of us was going to be the greatest in your kingdom. And Jesus said, okay, boys, let's talk. And he took a child and he set him in the midst and he said, look, if you want to understand greatness in the context of my kingdom, then just look right here at this little child. And if you want to be great, then you become like this child. And then he gave them a whole teaching about humility and servanthood. And his final word was be at peace amongst yourselves. Now, the avoiding leader would have left that alone and said, all right, well, that's water under the bridge. These guys will figure it out in time. But Jesus was not an avoiding leader. He was not afraid of confrontation when it meant strengthening the team in whatever context that was for the advancement of the mission. Your mindset, your attitude, and your actions matter. And as the leader, as a leader, I'm going to develop you by speaking those things into your life and listen in a wise and calculated way. Now, I want you to understand something about this idea of confrontation amongst your team members is that Jesus did not react. Jesus responded. There's a world of difference between reaction and response. Reaction is knee jerk. You hear something, you see something, and boom, you move on it. Response is calculated and thought through. And the developing leader is not reactionary, he's responsive. Meaning it's thought through, it's calculated, and it's done in wisdom. And that was the way that Jesus led. He wasn't afraid of confrontation among his teams. And it's important for us as men in our families, our organizations, and in our ministries that we not be afraid of confrontation when needed amongst our team. And here's why. Because little problems unattended become big problems later on. And it's much easier to deal with the little problems today than the big problems that I leave for tomorrow. Jesus also wasn't afraid of confrontation when it came to his enemies. That's a big one because a lot of us, we consider ourselves non-confrontational, meaning that uh, when fight or flight uh, triggers in us, our, our tendency is flight rather than fight. And, and certainly this world is a world of confrontation. You absolutely cannot escape it. No matter who you are or what context you live in, there are enemies that face you in every area of your life and certainly in every area of your leadership. For Jesus, those enemies would be the religious people, often the scribes, the Pharisees, the antagonistic Jews of his day. Interesting, it was never the sinners. Jesus didn't really have too much trouble with them. You know? In fact, they somehow kind of liked being around Jesus. But he did have a problem with religious people because they were opposed to his methods and his ways and the mindset uh, behind his ministry. But that didn't stop Jesus. So when Jesus came into a situation and ministry needed to happen, even though there was the potential for conflict if he would heal someone in a particular setting, Jesus didn't shy away from that uh, opportunity to reach into someone's life. 
And so he would heal a paralytic, even though it would mean persecution from the audience. And he wasn't afraid to do that. And then when the confrontation would come, he stood up to that confrontation. He didn't shy away from it. And he would uh, fearlessly and boldly stand in the face of it and then allow God to help him work through those issues and those circumstances. And it's important that we understand that because we have to do the same thing uh, in our lives. When I think about the, the kind of confrontation that I have to deal with uh, just in the context of being a leader in my home, I, I think about uh, you know the TV shows that are, that are seeking to come into my house and that are seeking to oppose my mission as a dad and as a Christian man and what I'm trying to cultivate in my house. That's an enemy that comes into my life. Uh, too much social media can be an enemy. It can be something that is, 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 is something that, that, that confronts me. And, and that can, I mean, you can just think about your own situation and you think about as a dad, as a business leader, as a ministry head, as someone who's involved in leadership in an organization, think about the things that are opposition in your arena of leadership. And, and, and we cannot be afraid to confront those things to see the potential danger that they can cause to the mission that we've been called into. And we must be willing at all costs to do battle against those things when it is, when it is necessary. And so Jesus wasn't afraid of confrontation uh, with his enemies. And then third, in the third area, Jesus wasn't afraid of confrontation. It was to embrace the painful task. Now, every one of us has things we don't like to do and that, that would be much easier delegated to someone else. But if we really stop and think about it, a lot of times those things are things that it's our responsibility to do. We don't like it. We don't want to do it, but it's our responsibility to do it. And for Jesus, that was the cross. There was no one else that could handle that weight of what he came to do other than himself. And, and trust me, he lets us know that he wasn't particularly thrilled about the idea. <laughs> he was in the garden and he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He was, it says he began to be sorrowful and very heavy. This was not an easy thing. It was the hardest thing that God ever did. The Bible says that he created the world with his fingertips, but the Bible says he rolled up his sleeve for redemption. So if you just think about it, you know, this was not easy. And yet Jesus knew that as a leader of our redemption, the captain of our salvation, he had to do it. And he was willing to embrace something that he didn't want to do because his leadership demanded it. And for you and I, we must not avoid the things that we want to do. That means as a dad, we have to be a dad, even if we didn't have a good one and didn't have a good model and we don't feel like we're particularly equipped to do that. If we're called to lead in a particular area by God that we feel like we're being thrown into something that we're not fully prepared for, we have to embrace that because it's a call from God and trust that he's going to give us the ability to do it and equip us for it as the needs arise. And we have to embrace it, embrace it and not avoid it. And so a good leader, a developing leader, is one that embraces confrontation and doesn't avoid it. And that means engaging our team, it means confronting our enemies, and it means embracing the painful task. Now, I, I stop here and I ask the question as I'm thinking this through in my own life, I think, how do I do that? How do I become that kind of a leader that, that when, when my natural tendency is to avoid, how do I become uh, the kind of leader that's willing to confront? And, and I, I, for me, I find that the answer to that is to be obsessed with my mission. 
is that if I keep my mission in front of my eyes of what it is that I've been called to do and what my goal is, then that helps me to to, to want to confront the obstacles and the things that are going to sidetrack or sabotage me from reaching what that goal is in my mission. And so it's important for me to understand my purpose. That's why Peter says to make your calling and election sure. What is your calling? What are the various callings that you have in the various arenas of your life? It's important for us to not only define those things, but that those things be crystallized in our hearts and in our minds and they be ever before us because it's that right there, knowing our purpose in life and keeping our mind on that prize. What did Paul say? He said, I forget the things that are behind and I press toward the mark. What's the mark? It's the goal. I press towards my goal of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus that's been put upon my life. You know, so the, the way that I do that is that I keep my mind on the mission that's before me. And so when I think and lead with the big picture of my mission in my mind, then it keeps me on track. It also helps me to gain influence. The second uh, and last of these characteristics, second this morning, fifth overall, uh, characteristics of the developing leader is that Jesus was an empowering leader, not an enabling leader. Now, we talked about the enabling leader. That's a bad leader. The enabling leader sees that someone's not pulling their weight, and the leader goes in and picks up the slack, and they enable that person to to continue uh, weakening the team by not developing and not growing and not carrying their share of the load. That's the enabling leader. Jesus wasn't an enabling leader. He was an empowering leader. Enabling leaders weaken the team because they facilitate laziness. But empowering leaders encourage team members to have authority and to grow, and they develop, and then the team gets stronger. So the question is, how does Jesus, as our example in this, how does Jesus empower leaders that he's developing? Well, the answer is this, is that when Jesus calls and raises up a leader— In any context, this is what he does. First of all, he provides an example. And when we read the the, the Gospels and we see what the, the, the kind of leadership that Jesus was, it's an example for us. We have a picture. We have a living paradigm of what it looks like. And so he gives to us, first of all, an example. Second of all, he gives us authority. What did Jesus say in the Great Commission? He says, all authority is committed to me in heaven and on earth. And then he said, Go ye, therefore. In other words, when he sends us as leaders, he gives us authority in that leadership. And authority means that we have ownership on things uh, and and, and we have uh, a share. And so we're shareholders and we have ownership in the mission that he's given to us. So he gives us an example. He also gives us authority. The third thing that he gives us is energy. He says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, there's a difference between authority and power. Authority is credentials. Authority is, you know, uh, presence. But power is energy, meaning that he's going to give you the strength to do what he's called you to do. That's something that comes to us from the Holy Spirit. So not only does he give us authority to be leaders, but he also energizes that leadership as we depend upon him. And then finally, what he also equips us with is the gifts. 
And every one of us in here has gifts from God that differ from each other's. Some people are better at some things than other things, but each of us have unique gifts and skill sets that have been given to us by God. So he equips us and empowers us with all four of those things. He gives us an example, authority, energy, and then he gives us the tools, the gifts and the resources, and then what does he do? He says, now go and do something with it. That's empowering. One of the things that absolutely amazes me when you study Jesus's leadership in the Bible is that he will tell them where and he will tell them what, but he will never tell them how. Not once. When Jesus sent the 12, he said, go heal, go cast out demons, go preach. He never said how. When he sent out the 70, he gave a similar commission. He never told them how. When Jesus says, go ye therefore, great commission, right? Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them, teaching them whatsoever I've commanded you. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Never says one word of how. He says where? He says to the ends of the earth. He says what? Go preach the gospel, baptizing and teaching. But he never says how. Don't you think the Holy Spirit was going to lead them? Of course. Yeah. But that's empowering leaders. It's not enabling. Do you understand? It's an empowering service. And that's an amazing thing. What this implies for you and I is that we have a great responsibility, but we also have great freedom. Because we have the responsibility to discover our gifts, steward them, and use them, right? But we have the freedom to do it in the way that the Spirit works through our lives and uses us. When you read the book of Acts and you see the various ways that people did ministry, it is so broad. In Acts chapter 2, it was communal. In Jerusalem, the church lived communally. They never did that anywhere else or at any other time. They did it then. It It wasn't tradition or required. It was what they did there. Their worship was corporate. They gathered together in the thousands. That's what they did in Jerusalem. But when Paul planted churches in Asia Minor, those churches met in houses. Paul would greet the churches according to the house that they were meeting in. In that region, that's what worked there. That's what the Spirit did there. In the city of Ephesus, Paul rented a school, and he held church services in the school of Tyrannus. It's the first church building that we read about in the Bible. The missions were carried, uh, and churches were, were led sometimes by teams of people, and sometimes they were led by individual pastors. We read about Epaphras, who was the pastor of the church in Colossae and, uh, and then two other churches in that area that there's no letters to, Laodicea and one other. So they had a pastor, but other churches were led by teams. The church in Antioch was led by a team of people. Paul was just one member of that team. We see that the services that they held in the New Testament were different according to different places. Sometimes the services were testimony. Sometimes the, the services were teaching. Sometimes the services were nothing more than someone standing up and reading a letter that Paul wrote. That's a vast variety of different ways in which church was done and services were carried out. And and I want you to think about it for a minute because all of what I just told you, that's just what God used in the New Testament. When we look at church history and the various ways that God has moved throughout that time that's not recorded in the Bible, we see that God has used many things that maybe weren't even in the Bible. Many of the great revivals were 
were fueled by the music that was written in those times, God using the arts and the expression of people's uh, talent in that way. We see in the present day, some people don't like this, but we see God using multi-site campuses where a pastor is in one city and he's dropping a screen in three other cities and the message is being simulcast via a screen and a congregation of people is gathering. And some people say, no, you can't do that. But God is using it. And nowhere does the New Testament forbid creative means of ministry as long as it doesn't cross the line into sin. And so what that means for you and I is that God is able to use you according to the way that he's wired you and give you authority to lead the way he wants to lead you. And that's a great responsibility and a great freedom. But that's empowering leadership. And so he empowers us to do it. And I'm amazed by that. It means that we're free. So what's the call? I asked you to turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 22. And that was strategic because I know if I just quoted the verse, you would never see it in your life. And I want you to see this verse, maybe even put a bookmark in it and, and, and think it through because this is, this is the Old Testament equivalent to the Great Commission. It's 1 Chronicles chapter 22, and it's in verse 16. And it says this. It says, Of the gold, the silver, and the brass, and the iron, there is no number. Arise, therefore, and be doing and the Lord be with thee. Now, I don't know what translation you're reading out of, but read it in the King James. If you're not reading it in the King James, listen to it in the King James one more time. Listen. Of the gold, the silver, and the brass, and the iron, there is no number. Arise, therefore, and be doing, and the Lord be with thee. The context, of course, is the days of Solomon when they were building the temple. And God was developing the nation like crazy, and they were advancing. And the resources were limitless. And the call and the commission was the verse that we have right in front of us right here. Listen, this is what God is saying to us here. He's saying, listen, the resources are without limit. I've given you authority. I've given you an example. I've given you energy. I've given you gifts. And I've given you a place to lead. The resources are without limit. Arise, therefore, and be doing. It's in the continual tense. It's not one and done. It's not, I did that 20 years ago. Arise and be doing, and the Lord be with you. Now, doesn't that sound like the Great Commission? I mean, think about it. Jesus said, go, therefore, teach all nations. All authority has been committed to me. And then he said at the end, I am with you, even to the end of the age. And so from Genesis to Revelation, the call is very clear. It applies across the board. And here's the challenge that I would give to you guys this morning, is that if you and I are doing little for the kingdom of God, if we're not leading in whatever sphere God's given, or we're doing nothing, then ultimately we're weakening the mission and we're weakening the team. And it applies across the board. Uh, I, I, Mark's not here this morning, but um, one, the other Mark, <laughs> he, he, uh, he, he, he worked for, he had a manager at one point uh, in, a, in the corporate realm. Um, and he went to him, he went in, he had a problem and he went into his office 
and uh, wanted to address this issue. And before he even could get out a word, the manager looked at him and said, if you need money or manpower, talk to me. If it's anything else, go figure it out. <laughs> and, he, and he turned around and he walked out. <laughs> and he said he loved that manager. He said the reason was because he wasn't an enabling manager, he was an empowering manager. In other words, like my, my, my realm of leadership is I can provide you with this and this. If that's your need, then you belong in here, but otherwise go figure it out. And I think that's a good word for all of us sometimes. As Jesus gives to us amazing resources and he gives us a call, but it's our responsibility to take up at that call. So let's review and then we're finished. First of all, everyone is called to lead even those who don't feel gifted or especially good at it. Secondly, we want to avoid the natural tendency towards lazy leadership, which is to be controlling, to be critical, to be avoiding, or to be enabling. Thirdly, we want to be developing leaders. How do we do that? First of all, by coaching, not controlling. We do that by getting people in the game, allowing people to move and use their gifts and talents and grow. We also want to be constructive and not critical, meaning that we want to give feedback and then engage in discussion. We want to, thirdly, we want to embrace, not avoid conflict. We want to do that among our team and the people we're working alongside. We want to do that with our enemies when necessary, and we need to do it in ourselves in the areas of things that we don't want to do. And then fourthly, we want to empower others, not enable them. We want to give them the authority and the tools that they need, but then let them fight through and not do things for them. And then fourthly, uh, by way of review, we want to remember that when we don't embrace the call to lead, we miss out on part of what we were made to be. And so we want to be the leaders that God has called us to be. So uh, next time, next week, we're going to talk about the keys to effective leadership. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so that you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback. So if you would, leave a review in iTunes or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.